coming up, we get extreme. Looking back at Extreme Rules Horror Show, the man with the plan starts now. The man with the What's plan. up, world? It is I, the man with the plan, be the man. Today, we're taking a look back at one of WWE's most extreme pay-per-views of the year, Extreme Rules. This year, they switched it up and dubbed it Horror Show at Extreme Rules. While the change in title was a bit surprising, the pay-per-view left me with a smorgasbord of feelings. Extreme Rules, as always, had its fair share of highlights. Let's take a look back. The kickoff match for the night was Kevin Owens versus the disciple of the Monday Night Messiah, Buddy Murphy. Or better yet, shortened to simply Murphy. So a few highlights from this match for me. For starters, I really miss Murphy's old theme song. This current one just, just doesn't feel right. I don't know if it was a switching over from CFO to Def Rebel, or whatever the case was with why they changed the theme songs, but it doesn't, it doesn't hit right. It doesn't hit right at all. A good quote, though, to pretty much sum up Murphy going up against Kevin Owens that I thought was appropriate that Samoa Joe made. You don't get into a hockey fight with a Canadian. I feel like that pretty much sums up the entirety of this match. Most of this match saw Kevin Owens get heavy offense in on Murphy, but Murphy is also no slouch either. I think these two were a very good pairing for a stacked and somewhat unorthodox lineup for the night. I also think it's going to be a nice setup going back to Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins feuding down the line as we would kind of get a bit of a precursor to, pardon me, two weeks ago on Raw. I will say though, Murphy's brain buster in this match was pretty smooth and brutal looking. In terms of the modern roster, Murphy has always delivered some wicked brain busters out of the whole roster, but... The one he delivered to Kevin Owens was pretty smooth and brutal looking. Reminded me a lot of Chavo Guerrero's Brain Busters. Again, very good starts in the night. Kevin Owens takes the win here with a stunner on Murphy. So next up, of course, we get the intro for Horror Show at Extreme Rules. Might I just say, WWE's video editing team, they are undefeated. Never lost. They are simply undefeated in video editing. With the intro for Extreme Rules Horror Show, I didn't expect it to be like borderline horror movie mixed with like WWE stuff and the way they kind of cut things and put it into place. That's why I, I give props to all the video editors out there, especially my homie music manager, Louie, who also does this thing with video editing. To do something of that magnitude with any type of video editing, especially the way that WWE did, job well done. Job well done. If you can watch Extreme Rules again, check it out for that alone. I think that's probably one of my favorites from the modern era. They don't slack off in that area, but this one really took the cake. So the main card for Extreme Rules Horror Show kicked off with my boys, the New Day against Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura, the Artist Collective, sans Sami Zayn, for the SmackDown Tag Team Championships in the table match. So, first off, Cesaro. He is not a man I would want to take a European uppercut from. 
I sincerely think he's mastered about every which way to use it and every which way to use it brutally. That ain't a man I'm trying to get hit with no uppercut from. Not at all. But my boys, the New Day, they are certainly no slouches when it's time to turn the aggression up and when it's time to get serious. And as you guys sincerely see, I know a little something to do about getting serious. Little cheap plug. I feel like though New Day, they simply don't get enough praise on that front about getting serious and turning up the aggression. I feel like constant comments of, oh, they're just throwing pancakes out. And no, 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 no. New Day in their own right can definitely get aggressive. One instance I can think of is the Hell in a Cell match or as my boy Xavier Woods, get better soon. Xavier Woods, Austin Creed would say, hell in a cell. Their hell in a cell match against the Usos, another example of when they turned it up. So never count New Day out on that front. Speaking of New Day aggression, anytime I see Big E hit that middle rope spear to the outside, it surprises me every time. I think it's one of the most surprising moves he has in his arsenal. As a man of that size, you'd think there'd be no way he can move that agile. This match had a lot of back and forth, a power, aggression. Cesaro and Shinsuke had the technical game down. New Day always coming with the power and speed. But unfortunately, a cross-armed powerbomb from Cesaro with the assist from Shinsuke landed the kind of surprising win, in my opinion, for Cesaro and Shin, new tag champs. Again, I won't lie. I countered those guys out. But it also makes sense. New Day wouldn't have had too many options had they beat Cesaro and Shinsuke. Sure, they could have extended the feud, but as we see between both shows, there are an abysmal lack of tag teams right now between both shows. So I tip my hat to Cesaro and Shin. There's only so much we can do with the tag division right now. Next up, we had... The ever so crazy Nikki Cross versus Miss Dope Straps, Miss Role Model, Bailey for the SmackDown Women's Championship match. So almost right out the gate, Nikki Cross with the swinging neckbreaker for the near fall. I almost reacted like Stephen A. Smith over here. I almost flipped my lid because for a couple of prediction games I'm in, I definitely picked Bailey to retain. So had the match ended that quickly, I probably would have would have would have lost it just just a little bit, just a little bit. Not to say that I didn't want Nikki Cross to win, but for the sake of prediction games, I wanted Bailey to win to hopefully move on to a possible slow dissension between Bailey and Sasha. After the mind games, Nikki Cross showed and kicking out the Bailey to belly not soon after. I was really wondering how this one was going to pan out. I'm like, all right, you know, swinging a neck record out the gate. Bailey to belly, not soon after. I'm like, all right, how's this one going to pan out? This, this feud, and even Nikki Cross's ascension, I'm wondering, if this match were in front of fans and not the performance center recruits, I'm wondering, would we get a better sense of Nikki Cross's true fan support? I feel like she's relatively easy to get behind. I feel like her crazy antics, while some may look at them as ridiculous, I certainly feel like it's a breath of fresh air. She's crazy. She's Tasmanian devil-like, as 
Bailey, Sasha, and even Corey Graves have pointed out. But it's very refreshing to have a different personality of a woman on the roster. As I noted in the Slammiversary podcast edition of The Man With The Plan, I think it's very important to have diverse personalities and unique personalities in the women division as they all can't be the same. Otherwise, it kind of dilutes what they're doing, and I don't think that's something that should be done. Pretty hard-fought match between both women, but unfortunately, with Sasha's interference and the shot to Nikki Cross's stomach with the boss Nux and the rose plant from Bailey, Bailey retains. As we would see on SmackDown, Nikki Cross had to face Alexa Bliss per the role model making an unexpected match. We saw those two face off in a pretty hard-fought match as well. And next week on SmackDown, or I should say this upcoming week, by the time this comes out, this upcoming week on SmackDown, we are going to see a rematch of this said Extreme Rules match. Will Bayley retain, or will Nikki Cross sneak out with the win to become new women's champion? We shall see. After this match, we get an impromptu Firefly Funhouse special. We're really glad that you're our friend. And this is something that will never ever end. Bray Wyatt went full Dracula here. Kudos to this man and his creativity. Even taking a shot at the karaoke segment, showing us something truly horrific. Apparently I missed that during my initial live watch, but luckily NAAW, the group I'm in on Facebook, luckily they caught me up to speed briefly and... Once I thought about it, I was like, oh, that <laughs> that makes sense. I got a good kick out of that. Bray definitely went full Dracula and full Dr. Frankenstein behind that addition of Firefly Funhouse to really drive home this creator and monster dynamic between him and Braun Strowman, which we would see later on in the night. Next up, we've got the United States Championship match. But wait a minute. What's really going on with Apollo? MVP comes out with Bobby Lashley talking about he failed his physical or I think Tom Phillips might have said that on commentary, but something doesn't smell right here. Not just in a storyline sense, but beyond that. So this match got thrown out due to Apollo being quote unquote unable to compete. Personally, I hope Apollo is all right. Rumor and innuendo say a few things, but here on Demand with the Plan, we roll with official stories, and I'm not going to say what's rumored, but I'm hoping that Apollo and MVP still have this United States Championship match. It's a bit, it's a bit of a muddy water situation, but best wishes out to Apollo. Next up, <laughs> We've got the eye for an eye match. <laughs> so, first off, every time I see Seth Rollins, not nearly as much since he's in this Monday Night Messiah gimmick, but every time I see Seth Rollins, I can't help but think of my older brother, B. Allen, hating on Seth Rollins, talking about how Seth Rollins takes too many L's. I've been hearing that for the past five years. Anytime I bring up Seth Rollins to B. Allen, that man's like, man, Seth, he, he takes too many L's. And despite Seth being from his hometown, Davenport, Iowa, 
man still shows no love to Seth Rollins. But hopefully that's a whole nother podcast for a whole nother time. Anyway, this match, not soon after it started, Seth Rollins really was out here bringing out the pliers to try to take Ray's eye out? Oh, no. No, no, no. I saw that. I was like, oh, they're, 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 going to, they're trying to go to Randy Orton, Jeff Hardy route from Hell in a Cell a few years back. They were really using the whole kitchen sink here. Ray brought out a toolbox from under the ring. Later on, Ray had the kendo stick. They, they were, they, they, they were doing a lot here. One theory I had during the middle of the match, I was thinking that they could always have Ray's mask to be covered on both eyes, like Sin Cara. They could have totally went to Sin Cara route, especially Sin Cara is no longer in the company. They totally could have went to Sin Cara route had Ray appear to wrestle like he's blind. That's that's a new caveat. I think that would have been something they could have they could have threw in the mix there. One thing I'd also like to note, I enjoyed it. I thought it was quite old school to see Seth and Ray try to go for the eyes in traditional manners, traditional wrestling manners before using weapons. You're talking eye rakes, eye gouges, just attacks on the face, just you know, gou- trying to gouge it out like like Jim Cornette tries to fantasize gouging out Vince Russo. <laughs> anyway, let's let's move on. The close calls of eye gouging, they're certainly getting closer and closer. And as it got closer, I was wondering exactly how they were going to pull it out. I had heard rumors of CGI being used, of them pre-taping it. So I was curious the closer and closer it got. Ray landing multiple sunset flip power bombs to the barricade, slowly, slowly getting damage to Seth and ripping the eye patch by Ray. That had me convinced that it was over. But Seth, he landed that swift low blow kick, and that's where it started to go downhill from there. Once Seth landed that low blow kick, history repeated itself. Seth took Ray's head, put his eye right to those steps, and and that was the end of the match. It was a bit hard to tell that was the end of the match because... It was more like a ref stoppage thing. Like Hell in a Cell with Seth Rollins and The Fiend. Which, fun fact, and I believe the homie in NAAW, Sky Zoo Beats, I believe he beat me to it. The ref in the eye for an eye match was the same exact ref as a ref from The Fiend, Rollins, Hell in a Cell. So I was... I was a little worried how the match was going to go with the ref stoppage thing. That seems to be a common theme using that ref for that. So I wonder if that was a coincidence. But uh, what got me, and I, I hate seeing it in wrestling, but a, as we know the famous line that I'm about to say, the famous line from Vince that we all, that, that a, lot of, a lot of fans probably know, the throw up that Seth did after after the match. I was confused if it was a win for Seth, but clearly they were tending to Ray, so I'm like, well, I guess that's a win. But Seth throwing up after the match? Really? Really? In my best Miz voice? Really? Throw up in rest, especially WWE. Throw up? It, 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 ugh. 
we we all know the classic Vince story with him and and Darren Jaws down Jaws. He's gonna puke. He's gonna puke, pal. Like how how can a man be? Ugh. Anyway, it was it was it was a spot I wasn't a fan of, and I'm sure I'm in the majority of not liking that throw-up spot. I guess if you want realism for realizing what he's done and kind of keeping the impounding split personality thing, I suppose, but I could have did it without the throw-up. So I'm wondering if him throwing up made him magically come to his senses or if it was still for the greater good. I missed the first half hour of Raw this past Monday, so I'm not fully aware how Seth addressed that, but... The ending had me a little confused. Shortly after that, backstage interview, as Evan T. Mack of The Bump would say, Kayla Braxton, I believe, was the one interviewing Bailey, And for a minute, she seemingly stepped out of character to address Ray losing an eye. And she was sympathetic. And she was sad. And I was thinking, oh man, Bailey has a heart again. But she quickly said, he's not seeing double vision. I think I did a laugh and wow combo at the same time, guys. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so cheap, but the way Bailey executed it with her character, it just shows she's been on a roll. Again, she said he's not seeing double vision because she still has those straps. I can't I can't hate on that. It's it sounds corny and cheesy, probably to the outside viewer and outside listener. But considering how she's on a roll, how I see it, I think it was great. So. Ding dong. Hello. I am still oddly entertained the more and more Bailey and Sasha are in these segments, in the ring, backstage, doing their thing, trash-talking anyone and everyone. Even when Bailey said back on SmackDown to Nikki Cross, did she not take her rabies medicine? <laughs> they leave absolutely no stone unturned on the microphone. And we would get more. Of Miss Blueprint, Miss Bouse, Asuka versus Sasha Banks next up for the Raw Women's Championship. This was a match I expected from Jump to be fairly even between offense and momentum that each of these women trade off on. Sasha has been in a whole nother realm since returning last August, and Asuka, as of recently, has been getting back into her former glory of being one of the toughest in the division. And... Her win-loss record recently definitely shows it. A few highlights from this match that I really enjoyed. The knee counter to Sasha's springboard arm drag from the corner. Very, very well done. Sasha with her technical approach targeting the arms, I thought was very, very smart. Because if Asuka's arms are weakened, that Asuka lock is not going to be fully secured. A spot I was a little worried about, Sasha looking to have messed up her knee, reversing that top rope maneuver that Asuka was going for. This match was definitely one of the better of the night. Back and forth, Asuka, Sasha Banks, they've done their thing, I think, only once before, back on Raw a few years back. But this match did not disappoint. Towards the finish here, 
The green mist aimed at the ref. Straight shenanigans. Even more shenanigans as Bailey yanked the ref shirt off the ref and tried to call the three count, declaring Sasha the winner. What? My legit reaction was like, wait a damn minute. Is this really happening? This can't possibly be an official decision, right? So as we're left on kind of that cliffhanger of things, Extreme Rules moves on backstage with the lovely Charlie Caruso, essentially explaining that Ray's eye may be able to recover if it's not detached from the nerve. Essentially, they're keeping it realistic on Ray's eye recovering versus the previous extraction theory. Rumor and innuendo say and have a few theories. I guess we'll see how that one plays out. Next up, we had the WWE Championship match. Mr. Still in the show and still in your girlfriend show off. Mr. It should have been me, Dolph Ziggler versus Mr. Talk Less Claymore, the Scottish psychopath. Just a bad MF, Drew McIntyre. So obviously with this match, we didn't know the stipulation beforehand. So we were left wondering literally up until ring announcements, what stipulation does Dolph pick? Dolph Ziggler picked Extreme Rules. But for Dolph only. So if Drew had got DQ'd or counted out, Dolph Ziggler was going to win the WWE Championship. Dolph Ziggler throughout this match played the smart game from the picking of the stipulation to the Famouser, one of my personal favorite finishers, the Famouser off the announcer table to Drew. He was picking his tactics wisely. Even up until that big diving elbow drop off the top through the table, Dolph later on hits a rock bottom, rock bottom on a chair. And that must have been for The Rock endorsing him to win the title on Instagram. Nonetheless, however much Dolph threw at Drew McIntyre, he still fell to the Claymore. Drew McIntyre retains in one hell of a match. And finally, the main event. We've got Braun Strowman, the Universal Champion, Monster Among Men, against. We take it back. I almost said The Fiend, but we took it back. Bray took it back. Wyatt Family Style Bray. So my immediate reaction once Bray disappeared from his chair, in my notes, I literally typed out what kind of foolishness. Because Braun, being a big fella, pulls up in a Jeep. Bray is just chilling in a chair, old Wyatt family style. So, you know, Bray is doing his thing, talking that talk. Bray disappears from his chair, and Braun goes deeper into the swamp to beat up a few random guys, does a thing, and then he gets hit with a shovel, which was a weak hit, by the way. He gets hit with a shovel by himself. The sorcery. But again, as we would see a little later on, Bray continuing to be an absolute genius when it comes to mic work and bringing his ideas to life. I absolutely love how Bray brought some symbolic words to having resurrecting his wife family version of himself from the bottomless pit and how he has his wings back. I thought that was very symbolic of Bray and Funhouse Bray and even Fiend Bray of having to step back into the former persona for seemingly one night only just to deal with Braun. The next part, though, I will say, who came up with the idea to incorporate a whole anaconda? They just brought that thing in, and and Braun seemingly got bit by that 
ginormous anaconda. Braun is way more of a man than me on that one. Next up, Braun would get back out to the swamp and get into it with some of the same dudes from earlier who beat him down. Or who he thought he beat up. Braun brawls with them a little bit and sets one of them on fire. And Braun, as we've seen in the past few weeks, hit a nice hearty evil laugh. That was a nice touch. I thought that was a nice touch. We don't get that too often nowadays. But shortly after, an even more nice caveat. Shortly after, we see what appears to be Sister Abigail telling Braun that he can come home. That he can have what he wants. Who is Sister Abigail? None other than the five-foot goddess, Alexa Bliss. Making some nice callbacks to Mixed Match Challenge. Team Little Big. A little flirtation between Braun and Alexa. I thought it was a nice callback there. Again, whether it was Bray on that idea, or Alexa herself, or even Braun, that was a very, very nice touch. Very nice callback. Finally, after a little situation with a boat, Bray and Braun are brawling in some dirty old water. Just dirty old water. Just dirty old swamp water. And seemingly, Bray got the win by drowning Braun. Seemingly. But... Just when we thought the match would end, Bray takes Braun down into the swamp with a mandible claw. Bray. Bray with a mandible claw. Still, Wyatt family Bray, but Bray takes him down with a mandible claw. Very shortly after, the water turns red. Who emerges but the fiend? Whoa. And that's how Extreme Rules closed out. With the Fiend popping up. Where's Bray? We don't know. We don't know where Bray is. Or, we know where Bray is. We don't know where Braun is. As we would see on SmackDown with the Firefly Funhouse, Funhouse Bray put Wyatt Family Bray back. We're back to the Old Wyatt family head over the lantern. Bray kissing that skin on the lantern head. That was the old Wyatt Bray. Not I, not I. But it goes to show that the theory is correct. Bray was aware that he had to take it back with the Wyatt family Bray to put Braun down. And as he said on SmackDown... It's his turn. Let me in. So, some final thoughts and notes about Extreme Rules. While the show exceeded some of my expectations, I felt there were a few things left to be desired. The curious case of Apollo Crews. Is there a legit reason why Apollo wasn't there at the pay-per-view? An injury angle seemed to make sense for the past few weeks, but the miss the pay-per-view? I'm really curious to know if they're just purposely saving this for SummerSlam or if there's something going on with Apollo a little bit bigger. Rumors and innuendo, there are some theories out there, but as usual, and something I will strongly adhere to on this podcast, I'm waiting for something more official and concrete before I say something that is not true. Number two, the eye in disguise. The ending of the eye for an eye match felt a bit abrupt and sloppy. The ref ringing the bell felt like a ref stoppage thing, a la fiend, 
versus Seth in Hell in a Cell, as I mentioned earlier, versus an official decision. Again, I'm also probably in the majority who could have done without the throw-up portion. And number three, The Golden Thieves in the Night. I personally have mixed thoughts about the ending of that Asuka Sasha match. Bailey taking a ref shirt off of a green mist faced referee, Eddie Orengo, counting the three and seemingly running with it like it was official decision. It sat kind of foul with me after a hell of a match. This past Monday's Raw, however, gave some insight into what we'd be seeing next. By order of Stephanie McMahon, Sasha Banks and Asuka will be facing off to determine the Raw Women's Championship and an undisputed winner and an undisputed champion. For now, though, Sasha's parading around with the Raw Women's Championship, calling herself Two Belts Banks. I know at least a couple people. I'm looking at you, Mr. Ryan Popola, and another person who's definitely happy about this. That other person, you know exactly who you are. Overall, a very solid card for Extreme Rules. I would have liked to see a few more Extreme Specialty matches, however. But another solid night of wrestling with minimal complaints from me. Let me take you guys out with some wise words of wisdom. Never, and I mean never, lower your self-worth and expectations for those who simply can't reach it. As always, I am the man with the plan, signing out. The man with the plan. Nothing more, nothing less.